Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. I'm joined by managing editor David Noyce, who oversees the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. Hello, Dave. Hi, Peggy. We invite you, our listeners, to show your support for Mormon Land by giving to patreon.com, where with a small donation, you can access all the Tribune's religion coverage, transcripts of our podcasts, and an extended Mormon Land newsletter. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Mormonland. Now for today's show. Few Latter-day Saint families remain untouched by the experience of a loved one who chooses to step away from participation in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And many parents blame themselves for their kids' choices, asking themselves what they could have done better how many more trips to the temple they should have made, how many more prayers they should have offered, or how much more they should have read the scriptures. Quote, feeling like we have failed as parents, that our families should feel ashamed of those who left, or that the very idea of someone leaving the church means we refuse to have open-hearted conversations about it and instead cast blame. That is fear, plain and simple. Emily Jensen writes in a recent post on By Common Consent. The bountiful writer and web editor for Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought, is here today via Zoom to discuss the issue of parents and children's church choices. With her is Cecily Jensen, her 17-year-old daughter, who has some thoughts about the church and teens of her own. Welcome, Emily and Cecily. Hi, we're happy to be here. Hi. Okay, so Emily, what prompted you to write that BCC post? Um, honestly, it was reunions and um, things this summer as I was talking um, to different people in my families, um, seeing um, people we hadn't seen for a long time, especially because of the pandemic and realizing that there is a lot more people who are dealing with this issue than I thought possible, as well as um, looking around at my ward, um, hearing stories from Cecily at girls camp, um, hearing stories from my older kids um, with some of their college experiences, and just as well as all the online things that I see, it is a much bigger deal than I think that we're ready for. And so it was it was kind of a conglomeration of just seeing it everywhere. Did you get, have you gotten any, Emily, have you gotten any pushback from it? Um, not, no, not anything negative. I've just pretty much on all the social media places that I've seen, um, as well as the post itself, just a lot of um, nodding of heads that this is happening on a much grander scale than I think we understand. So Cecily, what did you think about your mom's post? I honestly, I thought it was something I hadn't heard before at all. I, I know that a lot of my family members have dealt with their kids leaving the church and I see that happening and I see the guilt that they felt. And I've never really seen it as too much of a problem because I didn't know that that was something that a lot of adults really do struggle with. And so I thought it was a new perspective that I hadn't considered yet. Have you seen, have you also seen lots of young people leaving the church? Kids, I have. 
yeah, I've seen a lot of young kids leaving the church. And what, how, what, what are your thoughts about that? It makes me a little sad and it also makes me a little happy because I, I find comfort in the church and I know that they are not finding that comfort in the church, which is why they're leaving. But it means also that they're finding that comfort elsewhere and they're, um, going to a place that may welcome them better than the church can. So Cecily, um, I, I want to ask actually both of you, but start with you, Cecily, uh, uh, to drill down a little, little further. Um, are, are there issues at church that you feel like the leaders don't want to discuss? And, and what are some of those questions? Are those stumbling blocks for some of these young people? I think the church leaders want to discuss a lot of things, but I don't think they want to discuss them in the way we want to discuss them. For example, um, a few weeks back, we were as a youth committee, because I'm part of the youth committee, we were planning a pre-FSY activity. And part of that, we were going to have lessons. And we put forward the idea of having an LGBTQ plus lesson. And basically, the youth committee just wanted a lesson for the youth about how we can deal with LGBTQ plus members and how we can really welcome them and just like interact with them in a way that makes them feel welcome. But the leaders kind of took that from us and turned it into a lesson on why being LGBTQ plus is bad and what the church's stance on it. And it kind of felt it turned from a discussion into a lecture of something that we didn't even want. So I do think they want to have these discussions, but they want it. They want to do it their own way. Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, Emily, for you and then Cecil, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, the, the church is starting an institute class for young people that's called Answering My Gospel Questions. Uh, Emily, how do you think a course like that could could help? I was actually really excited to see um, that course. I think that um, we need that on so many different levels, not just for the young adults. Um, I think we need it for all adults. And that's kind of was partly the point of my post was the idea that we need to have more open hearted discussions in Sunday school about some of these issues. And I, I do know that there have been some pilot programs with like the gospel topics essays and different things within the church, but this is specifically um, attuned to the young adult Institute program. And I think that's a good thing because I think that's a great place in a college educational system where they are learning how to be critical thinkers to do so within a church thing. I um, don't know how it will actually come to pass, however, because the first half of the course is all about learning to ask questions in the correct way, as well as finding the answers in the correct way. And that seems to be stifling some critical thinking in my point of view. However, the last part of the course is all about the um, young adults, along with the help of their teacher, um, formatting questions and trying to find answers that are um, maybe correct, or maybe they'll be, I don't know, or they'll, I, I don't know how that last part of the course will work with the first part as well. But I like the last part of the course in the idea that everyone's going to try to come together in exploring issues that we have a hard time talking about at church. 
Right. And that would that those would change depending on what that class, the members of that class want to explore. Correct. I mean, that's how I understand it. Yeah. Right. And I I really see that probably most kids this age seem to be really concerned with LGBT things. Um, Mm -hmm. There might be discussions on racism or feminism or church history issues that people don't quite understand or maybe scriptural stuff that have not been um, explored in ways that to, to their, um, the ways that they, they would like to have done in their, um, younger years. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Cecily, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously it's, it's for Institute age, which is a little bit older than where you are right now, but, um, what do you think? Do you think that could really help young people? Honestly? Yeah. I think, I think any, any, uh, project aimed towards young people to help them build their faith would, it gives a chance for all these questions to come up and really like strengthen the um, younger generations mm-hmm. uh, church. Yeah. Go on. Especially if like you say, the experience you just had, if the questions actually are, are, are addressed the way that the class members want to address them. Correct. Yeah. In a way that lets them lead a little bit, but also mm-hmm. gives them the chance to do what, take the lessons in the way that they want to. I will say though, with this generation and seeing it with my kids and Cecily would probably agree the idea of them having to only use specific resources is going to be a problem because they are so well-versed with everything online and finding answers to finding all sorts of different points of view um, on TikTok, on um, everywhere. Lots, lots, lots of TikTok, but just in terms yeah. of, um, they're not going to be easily constrained to where the church wants them to go necessarily. And I hope that the class and the teacher are welcome to lots of points of view. Yeah. Cause I guess the course encourages checking church sources, right. Uh, for things Correct. for the most part. And of course we know that not everyone's going to just go to those sources. Um, right. uh, Okay. So Cecily, you alluded to this, you mentioned uh, for the strength of youth gathering, you recently attended one of those. Can you describe the experience and did you find it meaningful and helpful? Well, I only went for half the time because I ended up having to leave earlier. And I think for my personal experience, I found a lot of meaning in FSY and I did build my testimony. Um, I think what FSY really does good at is giving giving those resources to help kids build their testimonies and find that meaning. But I think what it does wrong is it kind of forces those resources on those kids. And honestly, the parts that I found meaningful and the parts that I had that helped me build my testimony wasn't any of like the devotionals or the talks that we had. It was it was interacting with my peers uh, that I like complete strangers at the beginning of the week and build building those relationships and hearing their stories that really helped me find meaning in FSY rather than the, the, like, it was just the environment that helped me rather than any of the talks. And also some of the people who went to FSY with me, I saw did not have a meaningful experience because they were, they felt that it was it, all this, um, the devo- the devotionals and the talks it was so much and it was forced on them and they just felt so much pressure to build their testimony that they just couldn't interesting 
Emily, what are you hearing from uh, from all your kids about church activities? Like, like Cecily was just describing, what do they, what what do they say is working for them and what is not? Um, so they this generation, from what I'm experiencing, is um, one that is very plugged in, that is um, somewhat cynical about the outside world. And also really wanting to have um, important conversations that are somewhat glossed over within lessons and activities. And they also love um, uh, instant gratification. So anything fun, um, anything quick, um, anything food, really, which I think kind of is what we had as our generation too, the things that we really liked. Um, but. In terms of, so so the church kind of, in some ways, walking away from the community building things within activities, even with the youth, um, I think is a problem. I also think that they could get more engagement with things that matter to the youth in terms of like environmental issues. I think that could be... Um, an amazing kind of way to engage the youth, both in lessons and activities. Um, but um, I have, my oldest has left the church for the most part. And um, I've talked to them about their experience in many different ways. And they actually had a really pretty good youth experience with good leaders and things. It was more the young adult stuff um, and the way that the church treats its LGBT members. That was the problem. Um, and then I have another, uh, college age child who is actually really enjoying, um, young adult activities. Um, and Cecily could actually speak to this cause she's doing these. So, um, they are at, uh, Bear Lake for the summer working up there and they have kind of a unique opportunity to be in a young adult ward. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. As I was, I was talking to my mom about this, but the since it's up at Bear Lake just for the summer, it's all the like college students from Logan or from BYUI coming in just for the summer. And each summer it's a different group of kids and it's just so diverse and it's a big group, but there's no like individual cliques or anything. And like half of it is non-members who come just to enjoy the experience. And I think it's just a really unique thing where everyone can come and everyone has a fun time. And it's, there's, I just don't feel any like negative negativity at all. It's just a really. So low pressure, low pressure, just going, having fun, being with a group that you don't know, but you get to know by the end of the summer. What, what is that? It's a, it's a young adult ward it's a young adult ward yeah so they okay. specifically have in the evening on sundays and yeah. then activities in the week because so many of the kids work at a different time so it's you know i know that in your um, reporting peggy you've seen all sorts of different kinds of ways that they've made wards and things work around the world and it's kind of cool to see this kind of young adult situation in utah that is working towards um being community-based and also mm -hmm. um specifically for the young adult who needed at a certain time and kind of a thing so that's a that's a cool thing and it's pretty new so maybe we'll see more of that kind of stuff 
I'm going to shift gears a little bit now, Emily. And how does it feel for parents when church leaders, especially in regards to this subject, talk about staying on the covenant path? Yeah, um, I got some really interesting comments about this because my post was kind of around checkboxes. And I realized that was more what I grew up learning about. And this the new stuff is similar to that, but it's it's staying on the covenant path. And um <sighs> So much of that rhetoric seems to be that if you divert off the covenant path, you are lost somehow. Um, I don't know if it's kind of a mixture of the idea of um, Nephi's dream or Lehi's dream kind of a thing. But it's, it's like this place that you need to stay. And if you don't stay, all will be lost. If your children don't stay, all will be lost. That seems to be maybe not the primary message, but feels like a secondary message that that people are hearing. And so I would like to see that changed. I think we can actually keep the path narrative. I think that's a beautiful idea. I actually, the covenant stuff too, a lot of people who have left the church are, um, were members and they covenanted to, um, mourn with those who mourn and do the things, um, that are good for all people and staying on that path. I think most people, even those who have left the church find that meaningful. Um, but I was, I was heartened to see that I guess in the last few years or so, there's been this idea of, um, instead of doing interfaith work, it's interpath work. And I like the idea of combining the idea of covenant path with inter interpath, which is the idea that people who leave religion or go to a different religion, um, we can still work and love and be in community with those people. And I think we need to do that better in the church. And so, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on parents who feel like they need to make sure their family is con consistently and completely on the covenant path. And that's just not happening um, for most families, even, even in the, in the highest echelons of the church. I, I know of lots of stories of those who, um, so we, we can have this being modeled actually from top leadership trying to, um, in be inclusive of all of the family members. And instead so much of it feels like pressure and that turns into fear and that turns into sadness and in doing so it makes the relationships even worse. And I think that's the opposite of what our church should be preaching. Emily, that just sort of triggers a question in my mind real quickly about uh, it, it seems no parents are immune from this, of course. It would, would it help if top church leaders talked about their own situations sometimes with struggles they've had with with kids and, 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 and keeping them in the quote fold? I mean, yes, I think that um, when Elder Holland has talked about mental health and um, when other leaders, um, especially some of our um female leaders of the church have talked about um, some more of the vulnerable, tough issues. There's been a real um, connection between the members and the leaders that are, they're so grateful that somebody has, has decided to open up that conversation because it felt taboo before. And so afterwards, so many beautiful conversations can be had in church settings, um, jumping out from that. And I think that this would be the very same. I just don't see a difference. So Emily, to be fair, parents do have a role to play with their children's involvement with the church. If they're too perfectionist, for example, that can push kids out, actually. Mm -hmm. And if they uh, are not 
particularly authentic in their faith, that can turn kids the other way. What role do you think parents do play in their children's journeys? Um, I think that there should be a lot of open conversation about where um, kids fall with religion and spirituality. Um, In our house, we focus on both a lot. um, But with our child who's left, we focus more on spirituality kind of a thing because that feels more authentic for them at this point. And that might change. There might be more of a religious component to it later. Um, But but that's, I, I believe I'll parents should understand that just in terms of giving their children healthy um, examples of, of different things, you know, you talk about, they need to be there for their physical health and their mental health, but also spiritual health is a huge part of it. It's just, sometimes I feel like the spiritual health within our church kind of overshadows everything else. And so maybe what parents can do is just focus on lots of healthy communication. I don't know if you saw this week, but there was a really interesting Facebook um, post by, um, oh, what is her name? Um, Dear Mormon Me, about a woman who has left the church and did a comic strip about it, um, talking about the ideas of... um, when people leave in your circle, how should you react to them? And I think it could be a good primer for parents as well. Um, and she really focuses in on just talking to them. You know, a lot of times um, parents don't know how to approach their children who have left the church or the children don't know how to how to talk to them either. And I feel like a lot of that needs to be um engaged with as much as possible as they're growing. But even if they've already left, I think you can be open, open the communication in healthy um, ways where you can say, look, I, I, I don't know what, how we start this conversation, but let's try um, with uh, why did you leave the church? So far, so many people aren't even asked that they don't even know. Um, or because the children are afraid to hurt their parents and the parents are afraid I guess, to hear the answers. And so again, a lot of this is fear-based, um, but the this post is also really good to just say, you know, we need to have empathy. We need to set boundaries. It's okay for the parents in this case to say, I'm still working through your answer that you told me last time. Let's sit back for a little bit. So there's, there's a lot of, I think, healthy things we can do taking from some of the mental health um, professions in having these conversations, but they're so important that we need to put the work in to do so. So that's one, that's one way parents can approach this. So Cecily, speaking of communication, what do you think popular church speakers like Hank Smith, John, by the way, and Brad Wilcox got get wrong or right about talking to young people? Well, I haven't had experience with a lot of them, but I did have Hank Smith actually come for a fireside for my stake. And he he led the audience so well and they were laughing and they were so engaged. And it was just like it kind of seemed like he was magic just being able to get that response from the uh, kids. But I listening to it, I felt just so much negativity from what he was saying. He was. He was making fun of things. He was 
like trying to gain our laughter by like putting down other things. And it just felt like the way he was trying to relate to us or get, get our attention was by, by being negative. And I think, and it does work obviously, but I think I don't want that to be the energy we go forward with, with the negativity. And like my mom said earlier, I do believe that our generation is a very cynical generation, but I don't think we have to have that negative, like that negativity of putting things down and us against them type. um, In some ways mocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So besides LGBTQ issues, Cecily, what are some of the other troubling things for you? Um, I think a lot of the things that I find troubling in the world are also what I find troubling in the church. So like uh, climate change, Black Lives Matter, women's rights, Native Americans rights. And I feel like it's just the way the church is handling it where I find that issue. So like with Black Lives Matter, I I see all of this like church history of like how they've treated uh, black lives. And I, and I hear what they're saying now. And I, I see the kind of change that we're going for, but I also see the fact that they're not like owning up to what they've done. And it's just those issues that I see in real life. I see in the church as well. So Emily, you've mentioned some of those issues too. Um, uh, that she that Cecily just mentioned. Uh, what do you think is working is for the next generation? What isn't in the church? Um, I I do think that what works for this generation is um, showing a lot of love, and there are so many people from the highest echelons of the church to wards and families that do love so well. (laughs) We have a church full of love. And um, when I look at the leaders of my children and even those that I see online, I just know that they just, they have so much love for the kids. And a lot of that then turns to sadness and fear when the kids leave. And, and the kind of, that might be part of the problem is that they, they did so, they, they showed so much love and, and it's hard to have that rejected in a way. Um, so I think, I think we are a church of love and I, and I think that's important. So we do that well, when it comes to acceptance, that's that's where we get tripped up, I think. And that might be maybe the subtext of my post um, and the subtext of some of the things that we've been talking about is that um, when it comes to accepting our children and those around us who have left the church, um, I was I was um, brought up with stories and magazine issues uh, that really celebrated the idea of people leaving their families to join our church. And so to look at that and think we celebrated this, this breaking of families so often so that they could, you know, bravely join our church. I don't want to take away from those stories, but we need to step back and say, wait, you know, for such a family centered church who are so good at love, how can we be accepting of those 
who make different choices, choices that we don't want them to, to make. And so accept those who, for whatever reason, are on a different path, accept those who are LGBT, accept those people who are hurting and frustrated with the state of the world when it comes to things like um, uh, uh, social issues um, for minorities, as well as um, uh, environmental issues such as um, climate change and things like that. Like those are things that we could be doing so much better at as a church because we have, again, so many people who are willing and able to love those around them. We just don't put that energy towards acceptance very often. And I think that's a problem. So maybe we could ask just one last question of both of you. Uh, and you kind of just also answered it, Emily. Both of you, what's your advice for parents and teens? And in general, what do you wish the church could do, would do better? Both of you. Sure. Okay. Um, I think, like my mom was saying, I think communication is key with any relationship, like the relationship between parents and teens and the relationship with the church. Having these open communicate, like communications and these discussions are just, it's what's really going to let us move forward in the most healthy way. And like I was saying earlier, our church leaders want to have these discussions, but they turn kind of into lectures, not letting my generation have too much input, just kind of telling us what we're doing, but not letting us input back. So I think listening to my generation and allowing us to speak and having that communication is going to be key. Um, I, I think the church is taking some important steps like this, this Institute class. I think that's great. I think we need to do more. I think it needs to be in um, lots of church settings where we feel like some of the most important and best um, experiences I've had in the church have been where it's people have been able to open their hearts and their um, vulnerabilities and feel the love of those around them. Even if they don't necessarily agree with what's being said or understand what's being said, there usually is an outpouring um, of love and trying to connect. I think, I think we have that setting, but we, we feel constrained by the curriculum that we have now. Um, we feel constrained by the missionary program, I would say too. I think this is another place we need to have it is a um, because I think a lot of the young adults that go out as missionaries are not prepared as well as they could be about the things that they're, they are then faced with. And then they come back into their colleges and they don't have the critical thinking and things necessary to get through some of this stuff. And, you know, again, through all of this, I think it's important that the church recognizes that we're all on different journeys. We say that a lot. I hear that in Relief Society, but a lot of that is within the church's um, own system. We're all on different journeys. Why can't we enlarge that to be journeys outside of the church's system and still be respectful and accepting? I don't think it's wrong to be hopeful that those journeys take them, those who have left back into the church. I don't think that's a problem. However, I, I don't think that should be the underlying thing with all of our communication, because I think we have a much bigger gospel that allows for us to do um, and accept and love those in ways that we just are not utilizing right now. <laughs> 
Emily Jensen, Cecily Jensen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thanks to Dave Noyce. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels, we remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up. We'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.